This is the Game Day on Rocky Top Podcast, episode 179. I am Joel Hollingsworth, and as always, I'm joined by Will Shelton. Will, how's it going? You feeling good today? Are you feeling uh, full of woos? That's right. I, uh, as Joel and I were discussing as before we came on the air, uh, we went to the my wife and I went to the game yesterday, and um, just just a uh, joy is what I wrote about in the post. But I've used this word. And I, Joel, I may have even used it when you and I were texting right after the game. Neyland Stadium yesterday was just such an unburdened place. Yeah. It was great. And I hope wherever you were watching the game, if it wasn't there, that it was great for you too. Because it was just just a, I don't know what's coming next. We're going to spend lots of time talking about that tonight uh, or whenever you're listening to this. But uh, for at least the first half and most of the second half, there was just uh, – a joy and a releasing of burdens, not to say things are going to be great from now on, but for one game in Knoxville this time and not at Mizzou, uh, it was, it was great and joyful and unburdened. And so my wife said after uh, the game, asked me if our podcast was just going to be us just going for like, so I clipped the microphone. Again, much much work left on the schedule, but now it's like it's it's work work and not. Uh, we'll see. Starting this week, uh, Tennessee may play four top thirteen teams in a row, but it feels like work now, opportunity work instead of a burden. Uh, to tie that nicely together, I think. <laughs> there you go. Um, I. Uh, before before we get into the the planned content, I just want to say um, thanks to everybody who uh, commented on my uh, first post uh, back. Um, really meant a lot to read those things from you guys. Um, so um, it made me feel good. So thanks for that. Appreciate it. Um, all right. So South Carolina. Uh, here's what happened. We were, what would he close at? I know we, we vacillated between 10 and a half point favorites to 12 and a half. Um, I think we closed maybe at 10 and a half. Are you verifying that as I am? It is 10 and a half is correct. You win the big prize. Ooh. All right. What's the price? (laughs) Another bludgeoning of South Carolina. Okay. All right. I'll take it. Um, so we uh, we did not win by 10 and a half. We won by 25. The score was 40 to 20 and uh, 45 to 20. Sorry. Um, you know, uh, we had like we kind of went to sleep uh, in the in the third period, um, but came back alive when we uh, needed to. Um, and most importantly, uh, we I don't even know the word to say. But I mean, what's what's the best word for getting out of the gates fast? Um, rocketed, launched, something like that. We 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 did well. I mean, I guess we had a couple of drives maybe that didn't go anywhere. Uh, what what happened early? But we what I'm trying to say is we we scored 28 points in the first quarter. So if I remember right, there were it was four touchdowns in a row. I believe that, that is correct. Um, and what's most impressive about that to me is 
think, again, you're hiring somebody that you maybe haven't spent a ton of time watching UCF. We only saw Mizzou and Hypo was there, of course, once, and they weren't so relevant that you're paying a lot of attention to them. So it's easy to think, all right, Hypo, big plays, huge stuff. And you got that, certainly. Got the a beautifully designed play on the touchdown to Javonta Payton. You got the uh, tie on Evans with a long run. Uh, but the opening drive of the game was 14 plays. And yeah. it wasn't 14 plays and 90 yards. It was 14 plays and 66 yards, but they were just – it was well-scripted, and they just kept finding themselves in third and one, third and one, third and three, and then they converted it. So they just um, – they came out very efficiently. They continued to just be great at the start of games, even going all the way back to Bowling Green. Joe Milton, the best he's played at Tennessee, was was the start of the Bowling Green game. Pittsburgh, obviously those scores were there at the start of the game. Tennessee jumped Florida early in that game. Uh, and then, man, certainly the last two weeks, it's it's all been there. So it's not it's not like they're hitting a trick play for a score or anything. They're 14 plays at a time. Uh, the, the one after – we wrote about this. The one after the end zone interception on the trick play by Jalen McCullough, <laughs> five, five plays, 80 yards in a minute and 18 seconds. Uh, I mean, just – just ruthlessly efficient. If you're a South Carolina fan watching that, their fans, there were South Carolina fans that left the game earlier than I have ever seen any visiting fans leave a Tennessee game before. Um, it's noon, you know, right? You're, you're like, shoot, we could be home. <laughs> yeah, do you remember? I mean, I got flashbacks of the CBS afternoon games and Gary Danielson in the wide shots of Neyland Stadium of everybody filtering out, you know, right after halftime. Yeah, we didn't. We did. We didn't do that. Um, that was them this time. It was a second quarter. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> just uh, an incredible display of efficiency and all that. And it's it's done a strange thing where the first drive they punted on. I'm I'm looking at the the play by play over here. After they were up twenty eight to nothing, they had a screen called up on third down, and it wasn't there. Carolina had it. They they were on it. And so Hinden Hooker just threw it in the ground. And this offense is so good when something like that happens, which you're up 28 to nothing. That's the right play. It's the you called this play, they're all over it. Throw it away. Don't don't throw an interception. Don't set up. But <laughs> we're so good now when we have something like that, which is actually a smart decision by the quarterback, especially for that situation up 28 to nothing. People are like, oh, what's he doing? God, what, like, what is he? Why would he throw it away? Like, I, there were a couple of boos I heard, like, not groups of people, but individual booing in the third quarter. And I'm like, man, what? This is the, the like, where burden crept back in for one or two people. And that's what I wanted to say is, what is your burden here? Were we too good for you in the first half of this game and last week? Like, it's all right. We're going to punt occasionally. It's okay. You know what I think that is, is like the drunk uncle at Thanksgiving. Yeah. You know, everybody's at Thanksgiving and everything. Everybody's having a, having a good party. I don't have a drunk uncle at Thanksgiving, by the way. <laughs> so uh, just the, this, we're talking proverbial here, but yeah, you get stuffed, you get, it's like, oh, everything is so good. And then you have just a little bit too much. And it's like, yeah, give me another. And when you don't get another, it's like, Rah! you know, you get you start getting mad because uh, 
you're not getting everything you want. You're not, you start getting mad that you're not scoring on every drive. That's freaky. I yeah. mean, we used to not score on any drives. <laughs> you know, that's, you know, that's the medium ground is here is, uh, is good. Um, before we get to the post that you wrote today, just, I just want to run down just a couple other things. Uh, we put up uh, almost 500 total yards um, and it was re- really well balanced. 225 through the air, 246, seven uh, in rushing. Again, another clean game, two penalties, 30 yards, no turnovers, and we uh, forced two, two turnovers. Um, held them to seven to 16 on third downs. Um, so really good effort. And like I said, man, when you, when you start, when you get ahead like that, I think that's a game plan, you know, get ahead and it's really hard for somebody else to catch up. But, you know, even if they do, we still have the power to sort of flip it back on. Um, although I'm sure Hypo was probably not uh, happy with the third quarter uh, we scored. They scored. Oh, we scored zero points in the third quarter. I know it's it's jarring now when that happens. That, yeah. yeah. And they scored seven. So, you know, Will, I, uh, you know, I'm not on uh, uh, social media, either Twitter or Facebook. Um, this is my the part where I uh, denounce and decry all of the uh, terrible things about Twitter. So there you go. You can have it one more time. Take your take the pill. Um, but so I want to know, is anybody out there on uh, social media uh, started calling this either um, hyperspeed as in H-U-E-P-E-R hyperspeed or hyperdrive? Has anybody been calling it yet that calling it that yet? Not that I've seen now uh, for Bowling Green and South Carolina. I was at the game, which Neyland Stadium is the black hole of <laughs> once you go in there, you're in there <laughs> and you're just watching the game. So it's hard to the, the Wi-Fi and all that stuff is is pretty non-existent. So yeah. Uh, I have been out of touch in those games with what's actually being said by folks during the game. And I've, I've got a pretty tightly curated twitter feed at this point uh yeah, okay. so i'm i'm not catching the full brunt of what's out there about tennessee good bad and indifferent but i do like the uh, it's a good star wars play there i like yes, I'm, i am planting flags in both those terms yeah uh, those are mine um i think uh, i actually did not create a claw fence back in the day i saw it somewhere else but i was happy to see that it got picked up and then uh you know, so anyway, if, if if I was still making T-shirts, that'd be, that'd be the first one we we do is a right. hyper hyperdrive. It's time for the hyperdrive. All right, so I'm I'm gonna go with that. And by the way, I'm not uh, uh, criticizing um, anybody on Twitter. I'm criticizing uh, Twitter itself because it has a tendency to uh, use you, and unless you can uh, use it it will uh, use you. So I don't know. I, that was on my mind. So sorry for the uh, little sermon from Joel. Forgive, forgive me. I'm going to blame all mistakes and uh, weird things on the brain injury from now on. So uh, that was, I'm just going to, that's the brain injury talking. So, all right. Uh, so on your post, Will, um, you talked about just how, you know, we know that this 
hyper speed offense is uh, so effective, uh, so lethal, so fast, um, but kind of a misconception going in was that it was kind of, you know, one dimensional. It could only do one thing. Um, but it seems to me like Hypo has an answer for whatever your counter move might be. And it, it also looks like he can do it a lot of different ways. And you uh, kind of researched that and fleshed a little bit of that out. So let's, let's hear what, let's, let's talk about that. So after two games, Tennessee was throwing to the tight end at historic rates. Jacob Warren was really playing great. Princeton Fant, too. And we were trying to figure out, we're not used to anybody throwing to the tight end around here. And that seemed weird. And, uh, you know, it, it, all this is new data for, for year one. So they were very productive offensively against Pittsburgh with lots of tight end stuff. <laughs> then yesterday, wide receivers caught 16 out of 17 passes. I think they threw he threw one to Jacob Warren in the second half that that Hooker uh, he underthrew him he skipped it or, or whatever so there was another one in there, but they just when you hear these guys talking whether it's Cody Burns or Alex Golish or some of these guys talking about in the past week or so, all right now we're figuring out who the guys are that can really help us they, their rotation is shorter and tighter especially at wide receiver we're not deep enough to have much of a rotation at any other position on the field anyway, but. They just, they're so good at not being bound to having to do certain things, even in year one with personnel they mostly inherited from a mess with uh, Jeremy Pruitt and the transfer portal and all that stuff. So they're very diverse in the passing game. Uh, just the speed with which it was going to be Joe Milton and then it was Hinden Hooker and then Hooker was fine and now he's getting better every time and just clean and efficient and all that, all this is just stuff we have not seen uh, in terms of not having a customary lull or just having some things offensively that Tennessee is bad at. Uh, Joel, you wrote the stats post last week. If you run that post back again, you last week you referred to it as the big fat middle, right? Which is, you know, typically where a lot of teams have stuff that hangs out. We don't, we, our middle is shrinking. <laughs> like we're getting healthy. We're nice. Tennessee is exceptional at a number of things. But then when you look at the things that kind of should be middle for us now, instead they're like top 35 things. Yeah. And that is very good. Uh, there are a couple of glaring holes in that. We'll talk about that. But then too, just, I mean, just the, the perception of what Hypel's thing was going to be. Uh, if you look at the the national leaders, this is a wild stat. There are a lot of wild stats. The national leaders in rushing attempts among teams that have played fewer than seven games, the national leaders in rushing attempts, Air Force, Army, Kent State, I don't know what's going on at Kent State, Navy, Tennessee. <laughs> We're a service academy. Three service academies, Kent State, and the University of Tennessee Volunteers, who have run it 289 times in six games. That's awesome. That's wild. So, again, this is uh, this is all new. It's delightful. It's surprising. Harder stuff's coming. We're going to talk about all that. But uh, there, there are a lot of conversations like that where you look and you're like, wait a minute. We're fifth in the country in rushing attempts. Uh, that's... 
wild and effective. It's not like we're doing it for two yards of carry. Uh, it's it's wild and wildly effective. Yeah, I, um, I had a feeling um, when I was watching Bowling Green at first. They talk about the 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 spread. I guess it is. You know, spread has multiple meanings in in, in football, but um, basically that he spreads it out further than anybody else. So he'll put one wide receiver on the sideline, you know, a foot from the sideline, and then a couple more, depending on what hash mark they're on, a couple of more way over on the other sideline. And um, that forces somebody to go out and cover those guys. Um, and it also helps the quarterback read the numbers in the box because it makes it clear you can't kind of cheat and go halfway in between and make the quarterback guess so if you know you just if they if the safeties are out there helping on the on the receivers um you know you got numbers in the box and you just run it and you just run it and you just run it so if hypo's got this uh, uh uh reputation for throwing it all over the place then you're going to go out there and cover those guys and you're going to have opportunities to run. Plus give credit to the, the offensive line. You know, that's awesome. Um, but if you decide to pull those guys in and help with the run, then they start hitting those guys out there on the sidelines. So I don't know. I, you know, I, I never played football, but uh, that sounds like a brilliant strategy to me. What, what, what do you think? Well, I think he's also good. This happened in the Bowling Green game. He's perfectly content to take what you'll give him. He's not married to – Heupel's not married to – it's got to be 25 carries for Tyon Evans. He's not married to we got to run Hendon Hooker 10 times. Um, and, and that can be different. We know Mike DeBoer and Butch Jones with Josh Dobbs, they didn't run Josh Dobbs in games that they felt like they were going to win on talent alone. They, they saved him and kept him healthy. Heupel seems to be doing the opposite of that. I have no idea why Hendon Hooker was on the field in, in the, the final series of that game, even though he was just handing off. It seemed unnecessary. But anyway, so I was I am a tiny bit burdened by that. But um, he just is very content. Bowling Green was chilling out. Bowling Green, by the way, much more of a pulse than we thought. But, yep. but Bowling Green just chilling out, dropping everybody, no big plays, perfectly content to just go down the field, score a touchdown, don't need the huge play, just, you know, and we won by 32. And I think that there, again, there's a lot of that reminds me of basketball, at least early where, I mean, this is a true, we don't have more talent than all these other teams, but we just kind of come across as similar to what Barnes has done and many other coaches have done where a basketball team that's just better than the other team and the other team maybe can scout you and take away, you know, your plan A or whatever, but it's fine. Like we're just going to do our thing and we're going to uh, lean on you consistently for 40 minutes or 60 minutes in this case. And sooner or later, that eight point lead is going to turn into a, a 14 point lead on a six Oh run. And then it's just going to be over. And that, I mean, that's what happened to South Carolina. South Carolina is, is a yard away from making it 14 to seven. And in a breath, they're down 28 to nothing. So 
I mean, this this is a trademark of really good teams, really steady teams in the past. We'll see. We, we, I don't want to say like, oh, we haven't learned anything. We played Florida, uh, you know, at Florida. We've got a good, solid data point there. Joel, do you know who the number one scoring offense in the country is? We we have lots of uh, fun conversations about Tennessee. Uh, Tennessee is seventh in the country in scoring offense. Ole Miss is fifth. Do you know who number one is? I have not looked, but um, I have a sneaky suspicion it might be Pitt. That's correct. The Pitt Panthers yeah. are the number one scoring offense in the country. We played those guys. Yeah, they're good. And they're 41 points, and especially when you look at their yards per play, we played those guys pretty well defensively. Yeah. Don't turn it over three times and commit 13 penalties. <laughs> so, like, we've it, – it's not – I understand what's next and I understand the break. Believe me, like I'm, I'm not telling you to go buy to book a vacation at Disney. Cause we're definitely going to the citrus bowl or anything like that, but maybe look into your schedule in, in December and see, no, like I, I'm, I'm just saying Tennessee is operating at a level right now that we are very not used to seeing. And again, don't, don't believe me. All right. You don't have to believe me. SP plus we love SP plus new SP plus out today. <laughs> what's what's wilder. Tennessee is 14th in the country in SP plus overall 14th, yep. number 14, number 14 team in the nation. There, there are three teams in the country that have a top 25 offense, defense, and special teams in SP plus Ohio state, Alabama, Tennessee, if you took Tennessee's SP plus, we wrote this last week. If you took their SP plus rating, which is now 16.4 and compared it to the last 14 years of Tennessee football right now, you would have 2015, rightfully so number one outback bowl, nine and four, all those close losses with Alabama and everybody. They're number one. Number two is this team right now. <laughs> We were worried, rightfully so, that they might be like the whole goal was don't be the worst. <laughs> They're the second best right now. And again, if you're not familiar with SP Plus or someone said, listen to these crazy guys talk on this podcast. They're full of it. They're way too excited. SP Plus includes the Florida game and Pittsburgh and still some of last year in the in the computation. So, again, it's just kind of like the you know you want to get nuts let's get nuts how like how nuts do you want to get and we'll get we'll get answers to all that but just right now they play for play week to week they are playing at a level that we don't know what to do with because we have not seen it nor did we think to remotely expect it in the first year with this guy after all we've been through yeah with a uh, brand new roster basically bunch of guys going out all the rest of them knew everybody trying to figure each other out. It's, 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 it's dreamy. It is. <laughs> it's dreamy. Um, so, yeah. And, and if you, again, if you haven't heard of uh, SP plus, um, they, uh, I don't know what his, I haven't seen his official um, <clears throat> result. He, he picks every game uh, versus the spread. And uh, 
but according to, I keep track of him. Um, and he was 30 and 21 uh, this week, I think, with uh, the same spreads that we use. That's pretty good against uh, Vegas, 59%. Uh, overall, he's for the season, he's 53.15%. So these, these are real things. And uh, um, our own, uh, we, we used to call this the uh, Statsy preview machine, um, but that got uh, too wieldy to type and to say. So we started calling it the SPM. And then it sounds like the SP plus. So uh, uh, we are handing the keys of that over to our uh, logo, who we're calling hat guy. So the hat guy um, does the same thing in a different way, um, but ends up with uh, similar results. Uh, the hat guy was 29 to 22 uh, this week and overall is 53.85%. So basically the same. And now here's where I'm gonna blow your mind. All right. We have been uh, all gas and no brakes this podcast. And um, you know, like you said, uh, all of the reasonable minds in sports well, I won't say that because we're we're pretty reasonable. We've been reasonable through the through the wilderness. Okay, um, we'll just call them pundits. Okay, so the pundits are going to say, "Wait a minute, hold it, slow down. Don't think you're going to be beating Alabama or anybody or anything like that, right?" Um, but I ran the numbers. Uh, and this is what hat guy thinks. Um, and like I said, hat guy, this, this is against the spread. He's uh, 57% against the spread uh, this year. So uh, against Ole Miss, uh, he says uh, Tennessee 42-34. It's a minus eight spread. Have you seen the actual spread yet, Will? Ole Miss opened as a four-point favorite. Okay. I have not seen if it moved or not. The total is like 85 and a half. It's, I mean, yeah. that's so if, if we win 41 40 or they do, that would be the under. Uh, so yeah, it's, yeah. it's, uh, yeah. Yeah. There, there, there's some defense built in there. Um, let's just uh, get crazy and uh, look at Alabama. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> We're, we're on Zoom and Will is looking at me like, no, 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 no. it's not that. I'm, I, you, you tell me what Hat Guy thinks and I'm going to tell you what SP Plus thinks. Okay. Uh, Hat Guy says uh, uh, Tennessee 32 and a half and Alabama 38.2. So uh, about a six, a plus, we're six point underdogs to Alabama. What does SP Plus say? SP plus would say that Tennessee, I was told there would be no math. Tennessee would be a nine and a half point underdog to Alabama on a neutral field. So what do you want for, you know, Tuscaloosa? So just two and a half for a 12. So a 12 point underdog. The last two times we were in Tuscaloosa, we were underdogs of 30 plus. Yeah. Georgia. Georgia right now, who's number one in the country in SP plus and your hearts and the AP poll and everywhere else, at least for this week, Georgia, because it's in Knoxville 
Tennessee would be a nine and a half point underdog. See, when we went to Georgia last year and all of that week three, is this the year we're going to do it? We're two and oh, we beat South Carolina, Missouri, whatever. When we went to Georgia last year, we were 13 point underdogs. And I know it's in Athens, but it's two and a half points. It's not three and a half points, which is the difference. The, the, no, the notion that we would be, according to Vegas, a closer, and we're not at Vegas yet. This is SP plus, but the idea that we could be less of an underdog to Georgia this year than in year one with Hypel and all this stuff than last year with Pruitt and year three is bananas to me. (laughs) And if that, if that line holds, I mean, we're close to, you know, Bama's just, that's, that's two Saturdays from now. So we'll see what happens. But I mean, um, yeah, yeah. I got, I got some breaks, uh, for, for the Georgia game because heck I hates the Georgia game. Yeah. Hates it. Um, says we only score seven points and they get 40, <laughs> which sounds like just a regular blowout against Georgia. Well, and hat guy loves the comps, right? So, I mean, no matter where you look, there is no comp for that defense team scores on Georgia. Yeah. That's the thing is, is they hold any offense to, I don't, I don't, I didn't actually write this one down, but it's, it's that they hold anybody they play their offense to something like a quarter of the points they usually get or something like that. So uh, yeah. Uh, and then it has, this, actually is a toss up with uh, Kentucky uh, 20, 25.5 to 26.4. So we're a one point underdog um, hat guy does not account for uh, home field. Um, so there's that. And then of course, uh, 15 point, uh, favorites over, uh, South Alabama and 48 <laughs> against Vanderbilt. So there's, you know, these, these are just hat guys numbers. And by the way, hat guy, um, is not really designed to actually pick the correct outcome of games, which I know that sounds weird. Like, you know, why, you care then uh but what it does is it roots out where the line is wrong usually that that's what it does best um is it it finds games where vegas uh, may have missed um more probably than than not um so anyway there's there's some hope you know we'll see what happens against Ole miss um this time but let's go back and, and while we're still dreaming um the uh, A&M la- last night beat Alabama on a last-second field goal. They controlled that game through most of the game. Uh, it wasn't until the fourth quarter that Alabama finally went uh, ahead. Is that right? Uh, unless, yeah, because Bama didn't even have a seven-to-nothing lead, right? A&M was up ten-to-nothing. Uh, I didn't. I, I wasn't watching that early. I was watching the, I had the Braves on too. So I, I don't, uh, but I think that's right. That A&M was up 10 to nothing early. Okay. So pretty sure that A&M was in control of the game. Um, and then it looked like everything, they were getting worn down and they were going to fall apart in the fourth. Alabama got ahead and you weren't going to catch them, but they kept playing and uh, they, uh, they did it. You know, they, they responded with a two way uh, special teams 
touchdown by Alabama with a, with a great touchdown of their own and uh, tied the game and had a few minutes left and got into field goal position and uh, kicked the field goal. And that, that ball, I don't know if you saw it. I did. It was headed. It was headed toward the stance. I mean, toward the, you know, it was going to miss, but it was like everybody on that side of the stadium all blue at the same time. I, I read that somewhere. I did too. Yeah. 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 I thought that was a great, a great way to put it. Cause yeah. I was, just, I was like, Oh, uh, okay. It's fine. Yeah. I probably read it on Twitter. Now that I said that I ne- never on Twitter, <laughs> I mean, I've seen it somewhere. Uh, but anyway, so here, here's the thing. Uh, I want to ask you, um, if you had to sum it, uh, boil it down to one thing, what, what do you think uh, caused A&M to actually get Alabama? They weren't even ranked by yesterday. No. Uh, what was, what they do? How did they do it? They beat them because Alabama was in the red zone six times and they scored two touchdowns. That's how. Um, okay. the, the ones, the end zone interception in the second quarter, huge play in the game, obviously. And I think that was the first moment where anytime you watch Bama get down, this used to be true for Florida State in the early 90s, the Miami, Southern Cal, you know, some of these, these really great year-over-year programs. When a team gets up on them ten to nothing, you're kind of like, all right, well, they probably they woke them up. They they my dad used to say all they did was piss them off, you know, like that's that's um, part of the equation. But that second quarter end zone interception that was a huge thing. I thought Saban, who has done such a great job adapting, evolving, change, you know, even though he's the best at it, he continues to better himself and not in in minuscule ways but in ways that are actually meaningful to the outcome but they're late uh and i'm gonna pull this up to make sure i get this right there were two times late in the game um where bama had fourth down inside the red zone and instead of going for it they took the field goal and in both situations it was not one that that um change the number of possessions that they were down. We talk about this a lot with, with Heupel. Uh, on the second play of the fourth quarter, Bama was down 31 to 24. They had fourth and two at the A&M nine, and they kicked a 26-yard field goal. So you were down seven. Now you're down four. So you can make the argument, there's 14 minutes left in the game. You make the argument there that, well, if we score a touchdown again, now we're ahead instead of just tied. Okay, maybe. Then the next drive... They had fourth, uh, they had first and goal at the three and didn't get in. Uh, they lost the yard, then incomplete, incomplete. So on fourth and goal at the four with eight and a half minutes to go, they kicked another field goal, which that one especially is, is pretty meaningless unless you think you're going to kick a third field goal to win. So uh, those two, I think in particular, now you would say it worked out because A&M went three and out and Bama went down and took the lead with a touchdown. So in the moment, it seemed like it worked out. But if you look at it through the view of, you know, all these plays matter, not just the ones in the fourth quarter, all these plays matter. Then I, I just thought those decisions to kick those two field goals, uh, it surprised me that he did it both times. And at the end of the day, then you end up with six appearances in the red zone and you only scored two touchdowns. They kicked three field goals in the red zone and they threw an interception. Uh, th- and that's what it takes. Look, when Tennessee almost got them uh, six years ago in 2015, it took 
guys dropping touchdowns in the red zone. It it took uh, just some unusual kind of stop situations. And that was trying to beat a very different – I mean, you know, that was 19-14. to 14. That was trying to beat Bama at a very different football game, even though that was only six years ago. It was a very different style of football. But that's kind of what you have to get against those guys is special teams, touchdown, uh, you know, all that stuff. Now, I'll say, I, I uh, Chris Pinley and I, former Rocky Top Talk writer, were, were chatting during the game. The quarterback for A&M is easily the least famous quarterback to beat Alabama since Steven Garcia. And that was, you know, Everybody. if you look at those lists of guys who've beaten Saban after 2007, yeah, it's Cam Newton and Joe Burrow and, yeah. you know, Ohio State had two or three different guys in that playoff game. But it's, you know, it's all of those guys. And then you forget that, oh, yeah, Steven Garcia got him in, in 2010. Um, you know, Johnny Manziel, uh, you know, all, all that stuff. But, hey, I mean – Credit to to A and M and their offense and all that stuff for for being so efficient. So, you know, look, we don't have to worry about beating Alabama. Here's the the real fun with this, if you want to really mess around with Tennessee ceiling, if we beat Ole Miss, there's going to be that little bit that sneaks in that says, you know, if somebody anybody could beat Georgia, it wouldn't matter if we beat Alabama, because if if Florida or Kentucky, but then somebody else would have to beat Kentucky too. Like if somebody could just sneak in there and do it, then even if we lost to Alabama, if we beat Georgia, we we'd win the East. Now that's not a serious conversation at all for October 10th, but if we beat Ole Miss, I don't know. It's worth kicking around there. Bama is interesting because they get leached this week. So that's kind of, uh, you know, you got to kind of prepare for a, a different kind of thing this week and then try to bounce it back. Um, so, but yeah, no, I mean, that to me is A&M beat them because they made them kick three field goals and they intercepted a pass on four different red zone trips. So while you have the stats pulled up there, how many sacks did they allow? Let's see. For, former Tennessee head coaching candidate, Doug Marone, uh, there on the, uh, on the Bama offensive line, um, only four, but man, it felt like a lot more than that, didn't it? It, it didn't. It it did. Uh, it, did they record hurries? Not where I'm looking. Huh? Okay, because it's it, it seemed to me that the reason for all of that ineffectiveness, especially in the red zone, uh, those blown opportunities, was because of the pressure uh, on the new quarterback. Um, now he he's awesome. He's really good, um, but there was times that uh, you know Alabama is supposed to have like the best offensive line ever every year. That's right. right? Um, but it looked like A and M's defensive line just had their way with them. Now what, I think they had a lot of uh, interesting blitzes, blitz packages that that. Um, that helped that. So it wasn't just, uh, you know, talent or whatever, but I think it had a lot to do with, uh, the defensive line. And that got me looking, um, you know, I finished, uh, or or did not finish the magazine this year, obviously, but I I did finish the, uh, the sec portion of it. And, um, I just now, while you were talking, went back and looked, at the unit rankings that I was going to to publish, 
And if I could find where I put them, where did they go? Wait a minute. I got them here somewhere. Uh, I'm going to have to go from memory. Oh, wait a minute. No, 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 no. We're going to cut this out. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> Omi's over here. I was going to say, if you're going to cut it out. Hey, Omi, what's up? Yeah. Omi, come here and say hi. Come here. Hey. It's nice okay. to see you again. I want to hear your pick for the game. Um, she she was she was good. Um, when I was racing upstairs, I said, uh, "Yeah, I need to I need to do the talking points for the for the uh, podcast." She goes, "What are talking points?" I said, "Well, I got to figure out what we're going to talk about." And she goes, "Talk about Tennessee and Alabama." <laughs> so like, uh, good advice. That's my, that's my girl. All right, so we're playing. Come here. Come here. I need your pick. Just say uh, we're playing uh, Ole Miss this week. Who's going to win, Tennessee or Ole Miss? Oh, no. Not inspiring confidence. No, did you hear that? Did I did not. She said Ole Miss. No, we'll definitely cut this out then. You go to bed, girl. <laughs> <laughs> okay. What, did you change your mind? <laughs> no? Still Ole Miss? Who's going to win? Oh, she said Tennessee now. It's good. That's okay. Yeah, I would, yes. All right, good night. Love you. Uh, I don't know. Uh, we got a lot to talk about still. So, all right, <laughs> I'll see you. Um, okay, so I found in that, in that uh, chaos there, apologies. I think I may just leave that in. That was fun. Uh, so defensive ranking, uh, defensive line rankings, um, do you want to guess on any of these or do you, um, do you want me just to tell you who's number one, Georgia? Yes, Georgia. Who's number two. It's Tennessee. I was going to say we should be up there somewhere. I'm surprised it's two, but just returning production, Matthew Butler. Yes. Those guys. Yeah. Yeah. Good we, against the run last year. That's right. We did. And we haven't thought about it much because we're always saying, Oh, the, you know, the defense is not going to be very good, but the defense is pretty good. And part of the reason is we got a good defensive line. Now, I know Simmons is hurt. We got anybody else hurt over there right now? On defensive line? Yeah. Tyler Barron didn't play a lot yesterday. Like, he didn't start, and then I just figured they weren't going to play him. And then he made a random appearance in the third series or so. And then I didn't really see him again. So, But, again, once you get up, if you're up 28 to nothing, you don't need Tyler – I want somebody to ask Heupel a very specific and detailed question about why he's playing these guys so long. Because in some cases, like with Tyler Barron, he's like, all right, we don't need to play him. But then Hendon's in the game a long time, man. <laughs> like, I just don't want this to go away because, oops, a snap went over his head and he was chasing it down and some guy rolled up on his ankle when we were up 25 points with three minutes to go. Yeah. So, again, these are the, the these are the burdens of an otherwise unburdened uh, fan base. So yeah. where's where's A and M on your list? Well, A and M is is only uh, let's see one two three four five six seven seven. So they uh, 
I guess they were weighed down by recruiting. They didn't recruit ex exceptionally well there. Um, they had a whole bunch of tackles returning, more than most. Um, they had more TFLs returning than most. Um, it was their total defense was not um, not very good compared to others. By the way, Tennessee yeah, in tackles for loss nationally, you know where they are? Have you looked this up? No, I bet they're like close in the top five, though. Second. Second yeah. in the country. In the country. In the oh, United God. States of America in tackles for loss. <laughs> yeah. Crazy. Um, yeah. It's – Bama, when you watch them, and this is total credit to them, when you watch them struggle, you just think it's got to be them. Right. Yeah. You don't want to credit the other team. You're like, there must yeah. something must be wrong with Bama. Not that other team is good. Well, that's what happens when you win what 20 games in a row, 19. Yeah. Well, and, and when you've been this good for it was the first first loss to an unranked team since Louisiana Monroe. Uh that's pretty good. That was so, Saban's first year, right? That's right. That was that was back when we were good. So, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So, uh, but no, I, watching that, it was like some, it must be something wrong with Alabama's offensive line because there's no way that they're just getting beat. Even the, that Joe Burrow game a couple years ago, it took me deep into that game to just be like, oh, Burrow's like, he's going to win the Heisman now. Yeah. Like he's, he's okay. Like he's the man because usually, you know, it, that's what it takes to beat those guys is is the man. Burrow, Manziel, Newton, yep. you know, Tebow. Uh, if you don't have one of those guys, you, you better get weirdness. And they got they got the they got the weirdness in the red zone last night. So I guess what we're saying is um we're we don't think we're beating Alabama. Uh we're not going that far, but I think we're into um, feasible fantasy uh, dreamland here where it's not ridiculous to think that it could be a 30%, 35% chance. You know, if you're, if, if Vegas is going to be, is going to be about the same, by the way, uh, uh, I saw that SP plus was in, was within uh, two points of the spread um, on almost all the all of its games this this week so as an anticipatory spread um they're pretty good at that too so um you know if if that what did you say it was for alabama 12 and i said that guy was thinking uh six um you know one to two possessions you know that's not that's not crazy. It's not crazy anymore is what I'm saying. I yeah. Mean, and like I think to, even if we beat Ole Miss, like let's say we get the fantasy, we blow out Ole Miss. Even then, I don't think we're going to watch the Bama game feeling like, Oh, we got to have this one or, or that just to me would still feel like all opportunity. Yeah. Because the ask is so great that we need Georgia to lose somewhere because the ask is so great to say, well, if we beat Bama and Georgia, <laughs> then we'll win. We better win the SEC East if we beat Bama and Georgia. 
you know, so uh, that's 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 just a separate conversation. Yeah. But um, I was trying to pull up the it'll it'll take it a minute to download, but whatever the um, the the wind total machine in the comments that we've been having kind of ongoing conversation of uh, what do you put for Bama? Yeah, because we still people, a lot of one percents. Right, and that's the running joke is well, it doesn't let me put zero, so I have to put one. Yeah. And I've been putting, you know, three percent things. I think I maybe I bumped it up to five or something this week, and I still don't know how high I'm going. But you know, that's been a legit. Those guys have been thirty plus point favorites against us, and you know, we we've genuinely come close to them. We've scared them twice in fourteen years, and. Let's if Garantano doesn't do that on the goal line. The last time we were down there, we're still down eight. So uh, you know, it's I get it. I'm I, I've been putting three percent as well. So I'm I'm not judging anybody for doing that. But yeah, uh, I, I'm I'll be curious. We'll have that on our site Monday. I'll be curious to see what that number is. I don't think it's going to matter in terms of the narrative of Tennessee season unless we get it. I don't. I don't think it's going to matter uh, one way or another. Even if Tennessee blows out Ole Miss, I think that game will still just be opportunity. But it's it's opportunity now instead of yeah. Let's take our beating and move on. Yeah, and we got to remind everybody that uh, the the official lines are out on Ole Miss and we're underdogs in that one. So um, the way I feel about the 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 percentages on the win total machine is it's kind of like if anybody's ever played like Dungeons and Dragons and they have those multi-sided dice um, that are like 10-sided instead of just six-sided. Okay, so say you have a 10-sided dice and your goal is to roll a one, two, or a three. You could roll that thing 10 times and never come up with a one, two, or a three. And that's a 30% chance that feels like zero because it never happened. And that's kind of what's happened to us. I don't think that we're necessarily at 3% or 5%. It's just that we're at 30% and 30%, you know, you still lose most of the time. Right. The, the, uh, before the South Carolina game, which would also be before the A&M game, the expected win total from our community against Alabama was 6.2%. Those few folks, we haven't posted it, but obviously you can go back to the old one and, and put 100% for South Carolina and do it yourself. Those who have done it themselves since last night are at 13% against Alabama. Okay, so double. It doubled. Yep. Yeah. All right, cool. All right, so let's, let's come out of uh, Fantasy Island. Do you remember that TV show? I mean, I know what it is. I'm, I am, uh, I turned 40 this week, but I'm, I'm still not quite that old. So, okay. yeah, <laughs> like me. <Sorry. laughs> yes. Fantasy. So do do you need me to tell you what it was? I know. I know the plane, the plane and all the that plane, stuff. Yeah. And uh, Ricardo Montalban. Yeah. I yes. think they are uh, rebooting it or they did or something. I don't know. Yeah. Every, they reboot everything so like, it was kind of a cool thing you know for anybody who doesn't know it was basically just a tv tv show that was scheduled back in the day where you actually actually had to you know show up when the show was on 
or else you would have missed it, you know, because it was there were th three channels. And so it was like prime time and they had this island and uh, you could basically buy your fantasy and they would build your fantasy and you could live inside your fantasy for, uh, you know, like a week or whatever it was. So we are uh, disembark disembarking the plane to plane right now and going back into uh, reality. Um, the uh, love boat is next. <laughs> after fantasy island actually i think those were uh reversed anyway have i gone too far down this rabbit hole no i was I, I when they talk about remaking things i enjoy i think it's called la brea that's on right now but every about every two years there's a show that involves people mysteriously disappearing and winding up somewhere magical and i'm like oh so lost <laughs> and uh which is my favorite show that's ever existed and so i feel like instead of spending all this money or whatever we're, we're trying to convince people to watch it and just like, or Lost is on Hulu. Yeah. So just go watch that if you haven't seen it because it's amazing. I love that show. We need to have just a whole Lost. <laughs> well, one of my, one of the things after I, my, my, my kids are four and one, but for me, like right up there with the being old enough to read Harry Potter chapter by chapter and all that stuff is, I just think Lost is so great. Please leave your comments about how you stopped watching after whatever season. But I just, yeah. I love, I adore that show. Yeah. I miss it. Okay. So we'll do that one after uh, Alabama or Georgia. <laughs> we'll talk about it. Depends this. on how it goes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So uh, let's talk about Ole Miss. Um, it is Sunday night that we're recording this. And so, you know, we have not done any full research. So these are, uh, my legal uh, caveats that uh, these are gut reactions and uh, us looking up statistics on the fly. So um, as I said, I first look at what uh, the hat guy says, and uh, he likes Tennessee uh, by a possession. And I think that's primarily because um, both of them have prolific offenses. So you think you're looking at, uh, you know, whoever has the ball last kind of thing. Um, but the Tennessee's defense is, or at least it was a few weeks ago. I haven't looked at the numbers this week. Uh, Tennessee's defense uh, is much better than Ole Miss's defense. Uh, Ole Miss last year, number one offense in the nation, in the uh, conference, sorry. And uh, also last in the sec in defense so i'm not sure where they're falling yet i will look it up if uh unless will was looking it up while i was talking he was not so i'll look it up while he's talking <laughs> so what you got to, what you got to say about all this how you feeling i was i was doing something else to make sure so here's the thing um Everything a Tennessee fan says this week, especially Tennessee fans that are of a certain age, which, which is, you know, younger than us, but old, old enough to remember where you were 12 years ago. Um, I don't know how to go into this game and not, uh, hey, I want to beat this guy badly. So I don't know how to remove that from the equation when I, when I look at things and talk about things other than to just say up front, Hey, uh, maybe trust me less this week uh, because we want to beat this guy so bad. Because what I want to say is 
having gone through the, the coaching stuff and all that and feeling like not feeling like knowing there were a lot of Tennessee fans that wanted the Vols to go back down the Lane Kiffin path after Pruitt was before and after Pruitt was let go. And uh, Kiffin, I, I, man, he did a great job uh, the, the giving away free popcorn at the game last week after his get your popcorn ready statement. I, like he's got much better self-awareness. He, he does a great job with all that stuff. However, the idea that Ole Miss has all this momentum and, and all that stuff. Um, last year, while they were putting up all those points, Ole Miss beat South Carolina, Kentucky in overtime, Vanderbilt, and Mississippi State by a touchdown. Then they beat Indiana in the Outback Bowl. Uh, they, they are most famous, I guess, or got the most juice last year because they they lost to Alabama 63-48 early in that season and built this idea that, hey, these guys are going to be around. Then they, they got hosed by some officiating against Auburn. Um, and they were, they were you know, LSU beat them by five. Um, Pittman beat them last year by 12. And so even this year, you know, they beat Louisville. They put 61 points on Tulane uh, and – Clearly, they were every bit the equal of Arkansas yesterday, plus or minus a two-point conversion. I just, uh, for people that before Saturday were like, well, we're going to get blown out in this game. Like, Why exactly? Like, I, I just, uh, I, I, I think that there's some overrating of some of what they have done in the last two years, or maybe not even overrating. It's just kind of looking at the wrong things if you want to look at what Kiffin does in terms of uh, raising the national profile of Ole Miss, great job. Fantastic. If you want to look at what he's done just in terms of taking a program that was kind of lost after Hugh freeze and getting them found again, great job. But when you look at what they've actually done in the last year and a half on fall Saturdays, it's something that we would find less impressive if it wasn't wearing that visor. So, Look, we may at the end of the year come back and say exactly the same thing about Tennessee. Well, who did they actually beat? They beat Missouri. They beat South Carolina. They were close against Pittsburgh. They were close against Ole Miss and and maybe Alabama or Georgia. So who did they actually beat? May happen to us too. But I don't um, – uh, I'm glad we're not favored in terms of – you know, the opportunity to go get a, a win and that sort of thing. But um, I have probably viewed this as a more gettable game than than most among Tennessee fans for the last little bit. But I don't know if too much of that is uh, – it would just – it would be a lot of fun to win this game. Uh, and, and life would be less complicated winning this game as a Tennessee fan – but man, I'll say it's already so much less complicated than it could have been if we were, you know, two and four coming into this game, and then Kiffin, you know, dropped forty points, uh, forty point margin on us or something like that. That would have been no fun at all. Um, but instead, you know, we we got one. This is this is just, it's fun. This is going to be a fun week. It, this is the most anticipated game in Neyland Stadium since that Alabama game in 2016. And sometimes that doesn't go well because that's that day certainly didn't go well for Tennessee. We lost 49 to 10. But 
I I am um, this is gonna be a fun week, and I think it can be a fun week and a healthy perspective and all that stuff. But uh, I don't. I'm I'm just not. Um, I'm not as sold on Ole Miss, and I when I look at what's actually happened on the Saturdays, I'm not sure that I follow like where this much confidence and optimism is is coming from. Okay, so uh, looking at those, can you hear me all right? Because my I'm getting messages that my microphone is switching back and forth on me. Um, looking at the scoring defenses. Um, I'm going to look at the official NCAA stats first and, uh, Tennessee, I know what we said, uh, SP plus said about it, but Tennessee is only ranked, uh, 69th in scoring defense because they hold opponents to 30.1 points per game. We've played pit at part of the problem. Okay. Um, so 30.1. But Ole Miss is 117th. They are, they're allowing 38.3 points per game. Um, so that's good news, I think. Um, we'll have to look at, their, at the uh, relative schedules to see what the differences are. Um, so we can do that in a second. Um, but SB Plus... Um, it's much closer. Um, as uh, you said earlier, defense, well, actually, I was looking at regular, I was looking at just the uh, overall standings in uh, SP plus, it's uh, Tennessee at 14 and Ole Miss at 19. But if you look at just the, ten the uh, defense numbers, Tennessee's 23. And Ole Miss is 67. South Carolina's defense much better than Ole Miss's in this regard. So Joel's fixing a microphone, uh, but I think there you are. Yeah. So. Gone. And Joel has vanished again from thin air. See, already we're like, you should stop listening to this podcast because these guys, or at least I am in my feelings about Kiffin and should not be trusted for, for anything else. Um, but uh, I do, that, that's part of the thing for me too, is trying to figure out this week, like what is the healthy, what's the healthy version of this week? Regardless of that, we're already so far ahead this season of where we thought we would be that we're going to be fine no matter what happens in terms of hypo and, and all these guys feeling like this thing can move forward for what it is in year one. But uh, it's, it's just a confusing, there are, there are multiple kind of confusing takes on this game and sure from an outside perspective too, there are just as many is Tennessee actually this good because they've beaten up quote unquote bad teams for everything. And I just said about Ole Miss too. So Nope. Still me. Still going. All right. I do enjoy, um, you had the yellow box around you there. It was, it was as if something was happening, but not, um, we're gonna, Nope. There you are. All right. 
Well, I'll keep talking at least until it cuts me off again. I think it keeps uh, wanting, wanting to switch to a microphone that, that's not working. Um, so anyway, what I was saying is that uh, in SP Plus, uh, the teams are evenly matched. But on defense, the uh, there is a pretty wide disparity uh, between um, uh, Tennessee's defense and Ole Miss's defense. And then while I'm here looking at the offensive numbers, um, Ole Miss does have a more potent, more potent offense, I guess, according to SP Plus. They're number two, and. Uh, um, Tennessee's 21. Um, we got some clunkers there earlier in the season where I don't think we were actually, you know, really having found our stride yet. So I think we're probably trending in, uh, trending in the right direction on that. So anyway, I, I don't know. Um, I, I like our chances in this game. Yeah, I do too. I think that it's the notion that Tennessee suddenly is so much better than Missouri and South Carolina. And we assume Vanderbilt at the end of the year, Kentucky's having their own ascension, super impressive by them against LSU Saturday. Let's see what they can do with Georgia this week. But the idea that when you put this Tennessee team and in particular, this offense on the field with Mizzou and South Carolina and Vanderbilt teams at a talent disadvantage, that it just takes care of business. That's a, that's a comfortable idea. Tennessee still should have a talent advantage on this Ole Miss team. Um, this, this is not, uh, we're not playing this guy next year or the year after where things might be a little more even if current trajectories hold. So Maybe there's a version of that too, where we just say, look, Tennessee's uh, there, there's an advantage here inherent in Tennessee still being Tennessee and Ole Miss being Ole Miss. So um, I will point out that uh, Austin Burledge, the former uh, power T tape, who's who did some stuff with us years and years ago, pointed out on Twitter, something I thought was smart today that, you know, when you said the total is 85 and a half in this game, that actually both teams have a better defense than they get credit for. And, these teams are running the same offense. They have coaches that have worked together. They theoretically should know, at least theoretically, how to defend each other. So, again, 41-40 would be the under. But if, if you end up with something less exciting or, or uh, I think the idea that it's just destined to be 60-59 to 59 is, is not uh, well thought out or, or just hasn't watched, you know, both of these teams – uh, play <laughs> or, or, uh, or see what they, you know, see what they can do, look at the numbers, that sort of thing. So I would, if it turns into, you know, whoever has the ball last or whatever, that's, that's fine. But I, I think that expectation is a little, uh, it's, it's needs some more thought. So you're taking the under. I was, I, I mean, probably, yeah. If I was, if I was inclined to do such a thing, I probably would. Yeah. So, um, Looking at the schedules, of course, we know Tennessee's um, blew out Bowling Green, but sort of un, uninspiring. Um, Pitt was pretty much even. Uh, we we're still finding ourselves there. But as we have learned, Pitt is a really good team. 
Um, we're going to forget the FCS opponent. Florida, I don't know what was going on with Florida. Part of, part of it is uh, um, I'm worried about the uh, mobile quarterback, hmm. uh, whether our defense is built for that. And that's another reason why I think um, – I know it's crazy to say, but um, Alabama could be closer than, than, than some others because uh, I don't think that guy's very, very mobile. Um, and, and maybe, you know, Georgia is not especially mobile. Those guys are, you know, they're, they're built the old way, you know. Right. Um, That's so, well said. <laughs> yeah. Um, but then Mizzou. You know, I know Mizzou's defense is terrible, but uh, Ole Miss is, is not that much better. That was a 62 to 24 win. And then, I think there was Mizzou is still there, there was some mental, some want to fire the defensive line coach the next day. I mean, some, something else is going on there yeah. that, that I don't expect to go on this week. Yeah. Okay. Well, then uh, we were looking at, uh, perhaps a close game or a one point or a one possession game against uh, South Carolina plus a field goal. Um, but it was 45, 20 over, overperformed expectations there. Um, so looking at Ole Miss's schedule, they, they beat Louisville 43 to 24 app state, which is not an easy out. I know they're not who they used to be, but, they just, they demolished them 54-17. They demolished Tulane 61-27. But they only, uh, against Alabama, it was just 42-21. And then they scored a bunch of points against Arkansas 52-51 just because Arkansas decided to go for two um, instead of overtime. So trying to make sense of those numbers, you know, good luck. <laughs> um, but some of their offensive numbers, I think are inflated, um, as are ours. Yep. Cause we got Tennessee tech at 56 to zero, but we have two, we have a really high scoring game against an SEC opponent. And then we got three games that are. Um, you know, 40, 40 points or so and higher against good teams. And they, I don't know, how good is Louisville? Are they any good this year? Uh, they, I mean, they strike me as middle of the pack. They just lost to UVA. Um, they beat Central Florida. I don't know what it means that UCF has struggled more with Malzahn, I think, than people give him credit for. Um, Louisville uh, beat UCF, beat Florida State, but only by eight. Lost to the Claw, the undefeated and 16th ranked Claw Fence, yeah. 37 to 34, and then lost to Virginia yesterday, 34 33. Okay. Middle of the pack, ACC. Anybody can beat anybody. So they lost um, to, to Alabama. 42-21, while we lost to Florida, 38-14. So I, you know, I think it's 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 maybe it's maybe a Florida game, except that we are 
three or four weeks further into our into finding our legs is that what we're looking at and i think there's an assumption that the the steady success that florida's offense had against our defense came in part from having a bunch of really super talented offensive linemen running backs that sort of stuff again not that old miss's offense isn't great but are they going to grind down our defense? Now, maybe, but we just haven't seen, other than in that game, Tennessee's own offense has not put its defense in that sort of position to just get knocked out. I think some people thought that's what Pittsburgh was going to do to us, but we never really went away to give them the opportunity to just kind of come downhill at us and all that stuff. So, We'll see. I mean, it may very well be Ole Miss is another team that they run the ball a lot more than they get credit for. So, um, who, who do they is it Ely is their guy? Maybe that's going to be, you know, yeah, what happens. But, um, I think that that would be my hope anyway, as a Tennessee fan, is that it's one thing to see Florida run up and down the field on you that not up and down the field, but just. When they needed it late in the game, they got it and they had a steady hand at quarterback, which Ole Miss does too. Um, but it's easier for me to make that assumption about Florida and their talent level than it is, at this point anyway, to make it about Ole Miss. That Florida game, um, the again, I'm sorry to the listeners, but we're looking these things up as we go. Um, the, uh, running yards, the rushing yards, I got to look at the box score here. So Florida rushing quarterback, 144 yards leading rusher. Damian Pierce, 62, Malik Davis, 45, 32. So how much does, um, Matt Corral run. Let's find out. I think he's second in carries on the team. Okay. So it is. It's it's like Florida. We get we got to figure out how to stop the running quarterback. And if we do, um got a shot. And then I think our offense is better than it was against Florida. Um so we gotta we gotta out out shoot him. And then we got to have our defense hold the quarterback. That's the game plan, right? I think so. And, you know, I don't know if it's worth anything, but Kiffin, uh, Heupel 2-0 and against Kiffin and blew him out once. So um, I read some of those notes earlier today, and Kiffin said in that loss that was, it was 48-14 to or something, that it's very true that if you let these guys – Kiffin talking about UCF, if you let these guys get ahead of you, they'll blow you out because they just go so fast. And that's been exactly what's happened the last two weeks. So um, I'd be curious to see, you know, it's also been true the last two weeks that we beat these teams down and then we get the ball to start the third quarter. It's like this, you know, this we're doing all of this whilst getting off the field three and outs for the Tennessee defense to open the game, both at Mizzou and against South Carolina. Tennessee's defense is really good at getting three and out as we talked about that last week. Yeah. 
All right. Well, that's all I got. Um, do you uh, have anything else you want to say before we shut this puppy down? No, just man, enjoy this week. This this is uh, things are different, and, all, and and this is still kind of a pandemic world. There was not a huge crowd in there uh, yesterday at Neyland Stadium. I bet there's a good crowd in there Saturday night, and uh, just the feel of this is a big game. Not that oh Tennessee is a ten point underdog, but let's see if they can do it. Like this is a big game that we can win, and. Uh, it's it's the it's easily the most anticipated game in Neyland Stadium since the Alabama game in 2016. So uh, it's it's been a minute, and even if we get blown out, if we get blown by, there will be opportunities not only to get bowl eligible, but to see if this team can can keep getting better. If we get blown out, we're not going to spend any time talking about beating Alabama, but you'll get a bye week to try to get Kentucky. Um, I'm just so encouraged by the steady progress that they've made. And I just, I appreciate, you know, Heupel's, he's not afraid of any of this, uh, not afraid of the expectation and carries himself and, and coaches with a confidence of expecting that we're going to go out there and get this done. And uh, I really like that fans tend to tend to take on the nature of their personality fans tend to take on the the personality of the head coach. We know that better from Kiffin than anybody. So uh, just just man, enjoy the week. It's this is this is a good week. Uh, we we weren't sure we were going to get any good weeks yeah. this year, and I mean that's no hyperbole, right? We we weren't sure we we're going to get any good weeks this year, and uh, didn't really. We had about one half of football at Georgia last year that was that was a good, well anticipated thing. But um, the year before that, we lost to Georgia State, as you'll recall, in the first game, and the year before that, we got blown out by. 26 points three games in a row in our anticipated games and the year before that we did beat georgia tech and i i find a way to talk about that game every week we did beat georgia tech uh in atlanta but um it's this is this is a good week and take take the good week and let's let's see if we can turn a good week into a good saturday all right that's uh will shelton um, I am Joel Hollingsworth. That's going to do it for episode uh, 179 of the Game Day on Rocky Top Podcast. We do appreciate everybody listening, and uh, we will see you around the same time again next week. Won't